0: Total rewards is broadly all the different ways that you incentivize your employees. So whether that's through compensation, base salary, bonus, or benefits programs, the medical plan, the 401k plan, other programs such as learning and development, professional development, flexible work arrangements, all of those programs fall within the total rewards space.
1: I'm Adam Connors from NetworkWise and your host of Who's Who in HR. Ask any successful CEO about the most important aspect of their company and they'll inevitably answer their people. And who is it that's responsible for their people? It's human resources. In fact, HR is the backbone of any elite organization. They attract, develop, and engage top talent, progress culture, secure, and manage important benefit programs, make sure you're appropriately paid, protect the best interest of each employee and the company, and so much more that, quite frankly, often gets taken for granted. On Who's Who in HR, I'll have in-depth discussions with well-known human resource leaders who offer insights into who they are, how they got there, and the areas they support. During our conversation, these leaders will reveal beneficial industry advice and innovative trends in the HR space that's contributing to keeping the world's most successful companies at the top of their game. My guest in this episode is the VP of Total Rewards at Procore Technologies, but prior to that spent nearly a decade at Viacom. This podcast focuses a lot on Total Rewards and its importance but rarely do we get a glimpse into how it's all done. It's no surprise that there's a lot of nuance to getting everything done. And as you will hear, Rosario Sasso is the ultimate pro when it comes down to execution. And she clearly and also very concisely explains all the nuance that goes into successfully implementing a total rewards program at any company. So with that, let's dive right in. Rosario Sasso welcome to the show
0: thanks Adam
1: you looking forward to carving out some time with me today getting to tell your story and let me pick your brain does that work for you
0: it works perfectly I'm looking forward to it
1: nice so how many podcasts have you done
0: this is my first
1: Woo! I'm excited and I know you are a podcast aficionado
0: I am I spend a lot of time listening to them these days
1: Oh, I love podcasts. Uh, what, what do you get out of podcasts typically? What What's the allure for you?
0: Each one is a little bit different. I think some of them, it's the story. So I really enjoyed the one that discussed winds of change and whether the Scorpions actually wrote that song or the CIA wrote it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's to keep abreast of current events. Sometimes it's, just to get someone else's perspective on life. So it's a little bit of everything. Depends upon the mood.
1: Yeah, I I, I love them too, obviously. And, And here we are. So what do you say we give the audience an opportunity to learn something, possibly give them a different perspective of themselves?
0: I think that sounds like a great idea.
1: All right. So what I'm going to do, I am going to throw some rapid fire questions at you. We Then from there, we're going to kind of transition into a little bit more about an area of your expertise. And then we'll go from there. How's that sound? Great. What was the last thing that made you laugh?
0: I love terrible puns, awful puns, often described as dad puns, but I really think that they should be mom puns too. So my... Oldest was telling me how he was learning about how corn is throughout our ecosystem and our diets. And so it led to an entire series of text messages back and forth harassing him endlessly about corn and how corny it was and how maybe Colonel Sanders was spelled K-E-R-N-E-L because there's so much corn in the chicken. It was a whole fantastic probably 20 minutes of texting which was enjoyable. And and I brought my daughter in on it too. And we harassed her brother some more. So yeah, awful puns, those those can get me going for a while.
1: That's great. it's interesting about corn. So I'd actually recently learned that corn's actually not good for you. <laughs> I don't have you heard that before? I was really surprised and, and I, I can't get into the whole nor do we are you probably interested, but I was really shocked. I just I grew up learning that corn was good for you and, and I've actually come to learn that it's not.
0: Uh, so, so did I. And it really, our conversation really started with the chicken should be classified as corn. It actually, in particular, it was chicken nuggets, he was telling me, because there's so much corn in the process. But yeah, it led to just a bunch of really awful and corny
1: puns. No pun intended. So what do you do to stay sharp, both physically and mentally?
0: I do a lot of walking, especially now in a COVID world. I'm fortunate to live in a suburban neighborhood. And so you can walk through the neighborhood and take a deep breath and enjoy fresh air. And during that time is when I listen to the podcasts and I also read a lot. I actually enjoy reading quite a bit. So those two things I find keep me in a good place, you know, both physically and mentally. So those, those are the two things.
1: How many steps are you clocking a day?
0: I don't count steps. I count miles. So I generally walk four miles in the morning and then I will try to get in a walk later in the day with, someone else in my family to get them out and about. But most mornings it's between three and four miles and I'll walk in
1: the morning. Interesting. So yeah. So I'm, I'm counting steps. You're on next level when you're counting miles. <laughs> you <know. laughs> Share a habit that you have good, bad or indifferent.
0: I think that I try to do everything in moderation. So good, bad and different. Mm. I mean, I think it's good. I won't turn away a slice of cake and I think that everything in life is about moderation. And so that to me is I don't find that there's hard yeses and hard nos on everything. It's figuring out how to find the balance and enjoy everything. And so I think that to me is one of the biggest habits that I have is just trying to enjoy life and do it, do everything, but do it in moderation.
1: I like that. What was the nicest thing that someone has ever done for you?
0: This is a hard one because I'm fortunate to have really kind people around me. But I think something recently, I there was a big event going on in my life that was important and someone who I worked with, who knew that that was going on, but wasn't so close enough to me that they're a friend that they come to personal events and things like that. But someone who worked on my team, and she sent me flowers, which caught me so off guard and was so thoughtful and so generous and so unnecessary. But the fact that she sent them and sent them as a reflection of the relationship that we had and how much she appreciated I'd done for her, and I appreciated her greatly. And that that to me was really very kind and, and very thoughtful and very unexpected. So I would say that that's probably the most recent example. But I'm like fortunate that. to have great people around me. So
1: love all of that. I think you've probably created that fortune. I have. A, I've got a feeling there. So what is your area of professional expertise?
0: I am a total rewards focused HR professional. My background and my history really started in the benefit space and in particular on the retirement side, but over my career, that's grown and expanded piece by piece from retirement to broader health and welfare and retirement to also include compensation and other rewards programs and incentives. So it's really been an evolution over the years, but it is a broad-based total rewards focus that I have at this point.
1: And can you kind of break down in layman's terms what Total Rewards does and and how it varies from different types of organizations?
0: Yeah, Total Rewards is, I think, one of the most complex and and interesting aspects of the HR world. Total Rewards is broadly all the different ways that you incentivize your employees. So whether that's through compensation, base salary, bonus, or benefits programs, the medical plan, the 401k plan, other programs such as learning and development, professional development, flexible work arrangements, all of those programs fall within the total rewards space. What the objective is to align that series or that grouping of programs to the benefits, excuse me, to the business strategy, right? So what are all of the aspects of the business? How do you want to grow? What are the demographics? Who are your target employees that you want to bring on and the skill sets that you need to achieve that business strategy? What are the norms culturally within the organization and externally? Taking all of that input and building a total rewards program, so all of those components that I laid out, which ultimately will optimize what the performances, the employee performance in the organization. So you're really trying to align all of those
1: pieces. Oh my God, that sounds so complex. Lots of moving parts. Is there such a thing as a day in the life? (laughs)
0: No, I think the great thing is every day can be a little bit different. So, you know, one day it could be that I'm focused on understanding how to manage the 401k plan and the vendors and working with my team to do that. And the next day, it could be, we've come up with a new sales strategy, which is going to require us to revisit the entire commission program and how folks are incentivized and what they're rewarded on. And it, and then the third day, it could be there's new regulations that came out around leave policies because of COVID and how are we going to implement them? So... There is no one day that's repeatable in the Total Rewards space. Each day is going to be a bit unique, which is what makes it so exciting and really for me has had staying power.
1: Yeah. You know, it was interesting when we were talking the other day, I love there was an analogy that you shared with me that if you could expand on. You mentioned Total Rewards as more of a risk manager or or a portfolio manager of sorts.
0: Yeah, so total rewards, there is risk in everything that we do. And I say that not in an exaggerated way, but it's the one space where you could have all types of risk. You could have financial risk. So for example, if you're managing a large pension plan, the risk, there's risk, financial risk to the company, which is related to the assets underperforming the liabilities. And so you have to make sure that you understand the intersection of the two and what the liability streams are. And if you don't do that, there's a cash requirement. Some of that's in your control. Some of it isn't in your control. There's a risk around compliance. So whether or not your plans are, and your programs are non-discriminatory, whether they satisfy the tax requirements in order to maintain the tax deductibility to the company. There's reputational risk, which is not often considered, but do your programs reflect the reputation of the company? And so, are they reflecting what you put outside of the organization within the organization? And you also have vendor risk, which often is overlooked. But total rewards is the one space I think each or each portion of HR might have some external relationships, but total rewards is really dependent upon vendor relationships and external vendors. And so the risks inherent with those vendors are also a risk that you have to take under consideration. And What I mean by that is things like consolidation within the industry. So a vendor may spin off a portion of the business to another vendor, which may or may not be as well known, may not have the same footprint, may not have the same resources, So then understanding how that's going to impact your service relationship and what risks that's going to put into place. The same as what you have for your own organization, right, when you're going through a transaction and a change, right? Will there be talent loss? Will people be distracted? And what does that mean then to the service that you're receiving? Does that mean that my employees will suffer from operational failures? Are there risks inherent of the technology? Because I haven't gone through the whole RFP process. So it's, it is a very broad ranging focus around risk that I think gets overlooked oftentimes, but is why there's such a, a close relationship between total rewards, legal, finance, and also an understanding of the role of the auditors throughout that process as well.
1: Wow, that's so interesting. You wouldn't have thought about that. I would think, and again, just maybe my own ignorance that a lot of times, I guess when you're you know working with brokers or working with any type of third party, that the majority of your decision is based solely on the cost because everything's just bottom line driven. But it sounds to me like, no, you're looking at something in a much bigger, again, like that I guess a merger risk or, I mean, does, is that, does that happen that often? I mean, I know that there've been a bunch of the big guys that have kind of consolidated, but is that something that you really do have to put that much thought into?
0: Yeah, it actually does. And even in places where you don't think about it. So I had a Cobra vendor. So Cobra is, is what you have to offer folks when they terminate employment, they have to be offered the right to continue their medical benefits We had a COBRA vendor that, excuse me, that portion of the business was sold to a third party. And it's a small piece, right? When you think about the grand scheme of operating an HR function, operating a total rewards function, COBRA is a small piece, but it's highly regulated. There's a lot of compliance areas that you need to focus on and it's forward-facing, meaning... Those individuals might be terminated, but it's still forward-facing with former employees and can create friction and noise where you don't want that to happen, right? Particularly, let's say, if you've gone through a restructuring and you've let a lot of people go, well, you certainly don't want to frustrate the issue even further by them having a negative experience with the COBRA vendor around their benefits. So we had to be mindful of what that transaction meant, how that was going to change things like where people accessed information around their benefits, where payments needed to be submitted, right? So the change management associated with that, it wasn't our transaction, but there was certainly work that needed to be done on our side that was providing oversight and making sure that our needs were met. And also that the vendor, the new vendor understood what our expectations were. We hadn't selected them, wasn't as if we'd gone through an RFP process and been very clear about what our expectations were on service delivery and the relationship and reporting and all of those. So we had to build that relationship and set up those expectations along the way. So that's a small piece. When it happens in the larger space where it's your record keeper for your 401k or it's your healthcare provider. So we asked Caremark purchasing Aetna. Well, what does that mean? How does that change? What's How do they use your data? How does that change the focus and structure of the organization?
1: That's huge. So I don't even know where to begin. You just threw a lot out there. Can you walk me through, I guess, high level to some degree, your RFP process? If you're considering selecting some kind of vendor, some kind of service, what does that look like? Is it sitting around in the boardroom? Okay, here's what we need. This is the PBM that we need. This is the wellness carrier. This is whatever that Cobra, whatever that might be. So you you identify a need, and then do you have to think about, all right, who are the players? Do you find out who are other peers that you know at other organizations that have worked with these people, then kind of bring them into a room, have them do your pit, do their pitch, and then you kind of go through the selection process, and then what's the vetting? like? Walk me through it. Yeah,
0: well, first, let's start talking about timing. There's a huge tail which most folks don't fully appreciate within the total award space. So if you think about your natural experience as an employee, and we'll talk about the one that's most common, which is your health care benefits, right? There's an annual enrollment period, which happens every year. So if you talk about the simplest scenario, which is annual enrollment happens in November and you're making choices for the benefits that would be in effect for the next calendar year, so starting January one. So if I want to change who I'm using for my health insurance, whether I'm a self-insured plan and I'm just accessing a network, or I'm a fully insured plan and I have to work through what plan I'm selecting, what package I'm going to offer, I have to work back off of that November annual enrollment. So now I say, okay, well, if annual enrollment's going to happen in November, how much time do I need? to set up my systems so that they're going to be ready for annual enrollment. And setting up my systems includes not just the systems that allow you to make elections, but it's also going to be systems about data feeds between vendors that need to be established. Now I need to work with the timeline, again, potentially with another vendor, right? Because maybe they're the ones that are administering my plan and hosting annual enrollment. I have to work with my technology partners in the organization because maybe I need new file feeds that need to be set up. I need to start with my treasury function because there needs to be banking relationships established. I need to work with my payroll team to make sure deductions are gonna be set up properly. So all of that has to happen. So now I'm going to back in a few months. Well, now, okay, so now let's say I've said I have to have all of those, the process and the timeline worked out by the end of August. Great. Well, that means I have to have a contract signed by the end of August. And I think end of August, frankly, Mm -hmm. is a little late, but for purposes of our conversation, Mm -hmm. so I have to have a contract so now I'm a large organization. How long does it take to negotiate a contract? How long does it take to negotiate service level agreements? How long does it work take to, to work back and forth between the attorneys? Because at that point, I figured out what my pricing is. But the attorneys have to work through the details around limits on liability and wording and, and all the things that they do. So let's say that takes six to eight weeks. Well, now I'm saying I have to be done by the beginning of July. So that means I have to have selected my vendor by the end of June. An RFP process run from beginning to end for a large, a large vendor, right? So if it's your healthcare plan, your healthcare administrator, your retirement plan administrator, those types of services, it's generally about a three month process. So now you've kicked off that process no later than the beginning of April, April, May, June, right? So the beginning of April. So, I've started thinking and doing all of the legwork in February. Wow. About who are the, why am I doing it, what are my objectives, who's the, who's in the market that I want to include and reach out to, what are the questions that I want to be asking them. So, so the first thing that I think really is important is understanding what that time frame looks like. Total rewards is always planning between 6 to 18 months ahead of where you are. In your calendar while managing the today at the same time.
1: Mm-hmm. What's the overarching skill set that you need to be just successful in this type of career field? I'm hearing a lot of different things here. I'm hearing strategy, I'm hearing relationships, I'm hearing analysis. I'm hearing a lot of different skill sets. Can you expand?
0: Yeah, and you've touched on a lot of them. I think the ability to be detail oriented and process oriented. You can't be an expert in all of it. It's good to be grounded in one area, but being detail and process oriented. So understanding that point A connects to point B and what that means, being able to identify risk, everything that's done, there's some degree of risk. But what is really critical is understanding what that risk threshold is and where is acceptable risk and where is unacceptable risk. And that also allows you to prioritize and triage when things go wrong. Because something is going to go wrong. That's just the nature of the beast. Murphy's Law. It absolutely is. And sometimes it's things that are, all you could do is clean up. Sometimes it's the things like, oh, I wish I, I could have changed it. But understanding the process and being able to put a risk lens through everything. I think also really being a collaborative team player, because you are touching so many parts of the organization. I my partners in order for me to deliver what i need to to the organization sit in many different corporate areas so they will be both within the hr space right so it's the hr business partners the hr technology team payroll which sometimes can sit in hr can sit in finance it's going to be the finance team so treasury finance the accounting team all internally and then externally the relationships that I have to have with the vendors that are serving us and being able to work collaboratively across all of that, whether that's experts like actuaries, or it's the benefits consultants, or it's the folks that are doing the operational delivery and the administration. So I think having that collaborative teamworking approach is really important. And also the attorneys too. I mean, there's, if you don't have a good relationship with your attorneys, you're you really will find yourself in a very difficult situation at some point. So being able to work across all of those streams and have partners that you trust and that trust you is critical in order to be successful in, in, in this space. And I, I think the last thing is the ability to communicate well. Because when you think about that universe of who all of your partners are, they're all coming at it with a different lens. They're all coming at it with a different language and they're all coming at it with a different set of priorities. And so being able to communicate with them in a way that um, highlights the critical need and what it is that you either need from them or need them to understand. And that includes at the employee level, right? Mm-hmm. As complicated as this is, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is, right? if you go back to what does total rewards mean, you're trying to create incentives that are aligned with the business strategy. They're going to optimize employee performance and optimize what the output is, right, to help you achieve that strategy. Well, if they don't understand it, if they don't appreciate it, they being the employees, if they don't know how to access it, if they don't know what the value is to them, you've, you've failed, no matter how much work you've done before. So you also have to be able to understand how to communicate it to the employees, how to communicate that value And I think that's a critical piece as well.
1: What would you say is the best skill set that you've acquired that's led to your success?
0: I think it's the ability to quickly look at a data set and identify outliers. I can't possibly focus on everything. I can't possibly be an expert on everything. And I have to rely on my partners and, At the same time, I have to be able to be confident about what's being put in front of me and confident that again, I can identify where the risks are. And so I found for myself being able to look at things and say, okay, I can understand the relationships and I understand how all of this comes together. Here's the piece that doesn't make sense. Here's the piece that sits outside. So is it because it's incorrect? Is it because it's something I need to focus on because it's a leading indicator? Is it something that we've been overlooking and has never been working correctly, but there was never a scenario that would surface it, and now suddenly there is, something has changed? So for me, that's been my way to be able to, and I think the strongest skill set to be able to move to a total rewards level and be able to pull all of it together to say, what's the relationship? How does this all come together? And how do I make sense of it? Because the piece that I can't make sense of is the piece that needs my attention at that moment.
1: And that's something what you're talking about, that just comes with experience, right? I mean, that's not something you can go to school for. That's not something that is innate. I mean, maybe it's a little more innate in others, but, it, that to me just sounds like experience, no?
0: It is. And I think also being comfortable asking questions along the way. It is experience, it's being able to focus on what's the key issue, right? So not getting lost. And there's a time for it in everyone's career, right, where you have to focus on, you know, the forest versus the trees. There's a point at which you have to focus on the trees. Sometimes you have to focus on the saplings, right, at a point in your career. But there comes a point where you have to be able to look at the forest versus the trees. And the way that you grow through that is asking questions along the way because you can then quickly get to sort of what the core issue is. So some of it, it absolutely is experience, but it's also that willingness to question and the willingness to ask people to explain themselves and and not be, you know, not be embarrassed by the lack of knowledge and instead keep probing on things because more often than not, folks want you to understand, they want you to be able to appreciate what they're bringing to you, what they're sharing, the information that they have. And I have found that when you ask the questions, it makes for a much stronger understanding. And at the end of the day, whatever that product is, it's a stronger product as well.
1: I like that. So we're cutting a little tight on time. I would love to find out something I've noticed from you is that you're pretty active on LinkedIn. Do you have an overarching philosophy on LinkedIn? Or if you don't mind, just share your thoughts about what LinkedIn is and how you utilize it and any suggestions you have for people that either aren't on LinkedIn, or if they are, how they could be better.
0: So my philosophy about LinkedIn is that it's really about the care and feeding of your network. So HR is a very small world. It feels big, but it's not. And so that network and the care and feeding of the network is important. And it takes lots of different forms. And so some of it is about how do I facilitate the success of others. And so lately you and I have talked about this. It's a tough market for some folks. And I find sometimes that for myself, the LinkedIn algorithms about positions that surface don't always make sense to me. But (laughs) And so I like to share them with others because maybe if it surfaced on my feed, it might not have surfaced on someone else's. And so I'd like to highlight that. I know that there are great people in my network who are great candidates. I think It's important to be able to build relationships and I don't encourage sort of the more is better all the time. I think there's quality over quantity. And so who those relationships are and and how they're represented on LinkedIn is important to me. So I am kind of selective. And I think even it might take me a little while to see, well, how do I know you if it's a sales pitch? A cold sales pitch, I'm unlikely to respond positively. It's because it's the same as the phone calls, right? It's the LinkedIn pitch doesn't make it better. It just means that I can ignore it maybe a little bit easier and there's no noise versus my phone ringing. And I understand some people, that's their job. They have to do cold calls. I get it, but there has to be a better way in 2020.
1: I love that. Love that philosophy. One last, I'd like to get your sentiments on a quote, and I think it dovetails nicely into your perspective on on relationships. But there's a quote out there. It says, our networks are akin to our muscular system. It must be exercised and given appropriate attention. What does that mean to you?
0: Yeah, if you don't care and feed for it, it's going to atrophy. And we all need our networks. None of us... My success is not the success of my own efforts. My success is the efforts and goodwill and time and attention and support of people around me. So if I don't care and feed for my network, then there will be a time where I will need my network, right? And so it requires attention, it requires focus, and if you don't do that, you will certainly... Need it at a later point and find it's not there for you. And, and again, I think particular in this space as we're talking about HR, it is a small world. It is a very, very small world. You are never, it's Kevin Bacon, you know, six degrees of separation small. So,
1: it's so mm-hmm. true. And that is an awesome pearl of wisdom to fade out on. Rosaria, I really appreciate you making today happen. This has been great. This has been insightful. This has been fun. And I've just enjoyed my time getting to know you. And I'm sure everyone that's listening shares those same sentiments. Well,
0: thanks, Adam. I've really enjoyed this opportunity. And thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful.
1: Awesome. Make it a great day. Many thanks for listening to Who's Who in HR. If you're looking to connect with more top-level HR professionals, be sure to log on to NetworkWise.com to find out how you could be part of an HR mastermind group. Also, subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date on everything happening with NetworkWise. In the interim, make it a great day and remember to always NetworkWise.